0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. For the next few weeks, I want to spend my time in this particular chapter. And I want to do so under the, under the theme over the next few weeks of Lost and Found. Lost and Found. And uh, I want us to be able over the next several weeks, many of us, I will, first of all, I will never apologize for preaching the gospel in its purity, in its essence, preaching the gospel, because I'm a firm believer that what infuses and strengthens our lives is that gospel truth that we should never get over, how that we were lost, And He found us and saved us. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be focusing on that theme. So I won't apologize for that. But also, as we look at chapter 15... And I hope every one of us in this room claim the Lord Jesus as our Savior. We are no longer lost, but can be proclaimed as saved. I hope that is the case with every one of us. At the same time, I pray that over the next few weeks, as we look at chapter number 15, I pray that God would give us a greater burden and heart for those who are lost. For us to see their blinded and lost condition, how that the Savior is searching for them and longs for them, how much importance that He places upon those that are lost, and. And I'm looking forward to our, our our Santa train that's coming up in November the 30th and how it's going to be a great opportunity for us to do outreach. And I, I've been talking with some other people and wanting to do some other service-type projects for us to get a burden for the lost, to reach the lost in our community. You know, we are small. I admit that. We're... we're, we're We're a fledgling group here that is earnestly seeking God. But that does not uh, excuse us from the Great Commission. It is our business to seek and to be a light for the gospel in this place. To be the hands and feet of Jesus seeking to save the lost. And that's what this whole Santa train, there may be others that are involved, have different motives, but ours is to shine the light of Jesus Christ. So I am excited about this and I want us all to have a renewed heart for the lost. And I believe that this chapter holds that. If you look at chapter number 15, we'll get into this a little later in the message, but chapter 15 is oftentimes seen as the lost and found of the Bible. You know what I'm talking about, the lost and found. It's usually a box in the back room full of, uh, I know a lot of churches, my mother was a cleaning lady at the church for many years, and in her back office was a big box filled with Bibles and coats and scarves and hats and glasses and all the things that people have left behind at the church. And that was the lost and found. Well, we could call this the lost and found of the Bible. And there are several parables that Jesus teaches in this, um, one of the most important, I believe, is the, the parable of the prodigal son. And we're going to be spending several weeks in that parable in chapter 15. But for right now, I want us to look at the lost sheep. And we're going to read uh, chapter, Luke chapter 15 verses 1 through 7. And I want to talk to you about the sheep that was lost. Luke chapter number 15, verse number 1. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And he spake, he, many Jesus, he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, here, here's the application. Verse number 7. I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. The, lo- the sheep that was lost. When I think about something being lost, I think about a story I read about Walter Payton, Mr. Sweetness himself of the Chicago Bears, one of the greatest NFL running backs in the history of the game. He, at one point, I believe, at the climax of his career, uh, he he holds the record of yards rushing. I believe he still does in the NFL. And in 1985, the climax of his career was winning the Super Bowl XX with the Chicago Bears. Now, one of Peyton's most cherished possessions was his Super Bowl ring commemorating that triumph in 1985. Now, According to Fred Mitchell in the Chicago Tribune, each each ring that was given to the players was distinctive. It it marked the player's name, their uniform number, and their position. It was a very special ring. In the winter of 1996, uh, Walter Payton's uh, invaluable ring suddenly disappeared. Now it happened when he was delivering a motivational speech at a local high school basketball team that he'd worked closely with for years. And so as he's given this speech to these young men, he wanted to teach them a lesson of the importance of trust. And so Walter Payton reached into his pocket and pulled out that beautiful Super Bowl ring. And he he brought one of the team members of the... the, uh, of the basketball team up there to him, and, and he put the ring in the young man's hand and closed it and said, I want you to keep this for the weekend because I, I trust you. Teaching a lesson on trust. Well, reportedly, when this young man reached home, he invited several friends over to see this very uh, unique ring that he was placed in charge of over the weekend. And... But after those friends left, suddenly the ring disappeared. Nobody knows exactly what happened to that ring. At first, he, he, uh, at first uh, because of his close relationship with the school, uh, Peyton did not report anything about the theft to the authorities. He was hoping that uh, you know, over time there would be some guilt involved and someone would actually bring the... Bring the uh, the ring back and and give it back to it, its proper owner. He hoped the boys would would do that. But after five months, he could wait no longer. He he put out a uh, he had to have this keepsake back, and so he he reported it to the police and and offered a reward for information leading to the recovery of this ring. One of the most painful experiences of life, and I'm sure you could agree is losing something that is important to you. Have you ever lost something that's important to you? Oh man, there have been a few things in life where I remember the last time I saw it and that was the last time uh, I saw it. It is painful to lose something that we highly value. Well, this is precisely what happened to God. The people whom God had made in His own image became lost through sin. All the way back in the Garden of Eden is when this loss took place. When Eve ate upon that fruit and gave it to her husband, Adam plunging the world into sin. In that point, God's relationship with man had been severed, lost And and so from that, from the very onset of the Word of God, and I believe before the foundation of the world we're taught in Scripture, that God's heart is to be reunited with lost people. Lost people matter to God. And that's why this beloved entire chapter in in Luke 15 is devoted to illustrate God's love for lost people. Now the most important thing I want us to draw out for this is that we too, like our Heavenly Father, like the Lord Jesus, should have a longing and a love for lost people. Luke chapter 15 has become known as, like I said earlier, the lost and found department because God loves lost people. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.3, But if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them who are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. But thank God, also in Luke 19, do we find this phrase coming from the lips of the Lord Jesus, that He came into the world to do what? To seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus shares these parables in verse 15 in response to some criticism by the Pharisees. If you go back, you'll remember in verse number two, how, or verse number one, how that as Jesus' ministry began to grow, he began to attract to himself not the high class, but the low class, the outsiders, the ones that were on the fringe of society. They became attracted to To the Lord Jesus. Verse number 1 tells us that publicans and sinners came to Him. Uh, When He talks about these, these are the outcasts. These are on the outside of society. And seeing this, the Pharisees and the scribes, these are both liberal and conservative religious of that day. It's the full spectrum of religious current leadership in that day. They all turned a critical eye toward the Lord Jesus and they begin to tisk tisk or, or to slander and murmur against the Lord Jesus saying that this man receiveth sinners you see Jesus shared this parable in response of what they were saying uh, about the Lord Jesus how that he sitteth and eateth with them well we might not think much about that in our culture in our day and time but in Jesus day Anytime a teacher or a leader or someone sat down with others at a table, it was to identify with them. And often to associate with who and what they were doing. And see, Jesus, when He sat down with these sinners, He instantly were, were, became, became stained with their reputation. They saw Him is engaging in the same as those in which He sat at the table with Jesus. And, and, and that is exactly what Jesus was doing. No, He wasn't engaging in their sin, but He was drawing them unto Himself. Why? Because Jesus loves and did receive, receive sinners. Jesus does invite those that are lost to come to Him. As a matter of fact, the Bible makes it plain that Jesus is a friend of publicans and sinners. Now you may say, well, Brother Ronnie, why is that so important for me today? Well, the reality is, if Jesus wasn't a friend of publicans and sinners, and sinners, then he wouldn't be a friend of fornicators, drunkards, alcoholics, drug addicted, adulterers, matter of fact, liars, cheats, thieves, why, he wouldn't be a friend to any of us in this room. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He receives sinners, these scribes and Pharisees, they thought they had a place at the table. They thought they knew who had a place at the table of God. And Jesus was saying to them, you have no idea who God is inviting to His table, uh, to, uh, to His salvation. And so through this parable, Jesus teaches us that He associates with those who deeply need Him. That's the thing that Jesus is longing for. He's not longing for those around to surround himself necessarily with those who, who may uh, think that they can get something from Jesus, but those that need him. Jesus is associating with those uh, that need him. And he does this by teaching the parable of the lost sheep. And so we're going to get into this first parable about the lost sheep. Now, I want to draw out three perspectives, three angles to this story and apply them uh, to life itself. Number one, the first angle I want you to see is what the shepherd knows about sheep. What the shepherd knows about sheep. So as they were murmuring about Jesus speaking with scribes and Pharisees, or speaking, uh, 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 eating, excuse me, eating with publicans and sinners, he, He then begins to give a parable to illustrate the priority of God. And notice in verse number 4, what man of you having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. Now, one of the things that we need to realize in this parable that Jesus does not go over is what a shepherd knows about sheep because Jesus does not, He does not explain why there was such an urgency to find these lost sheep. He doesn't give us that at all. And so what He's counting on is that everyone listening to Him knows about sheep. And the reality is is that all of these people in this agrarian type culture even the scribes and Pharisees would have known principal truths about sheep that may be lost on you and I i mean i don't know i don't i may have seen a, a sheep at a petting zoo one time but that's about all i know they got white wool they got, I mean, have you seen them videos on Facebook of them shearing them sheep? You know, it's got those big thing. I don't know, there's just something satisfying about watching them shear them sheep. I don't know what, but that's about all I know about sheep. So, what I want us to do is to look into what Jesus or what this shepherd knows about sheep. In this parable, you and I, we play the role, or the lost person plays the role of sheep. Now, that's a fitting description matter of fact, it's a description that is often given to people, human beings, in the Bible. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 53, 6. That's that gospel of the Old Testament. The gospel according to Isaiah. Look at what he said. All we like sheep have gone astray. Tells you something about our waywardness. How that we go astray from God. We depart from God. Uh, 1 Peter 2, 25. For ye are were as sheep going astray. Peter Peter seconds that notion. Sheep have a tendency to wander away, to get lost, to go away. Psalm Psalm 100 verse number 3, we are His people, notice this, the sheep of His people. Pasture, And of course, all of us are familiar with Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd. So, all through the Bible, there is this theme in which we, as God's creation, are sheep of His pasture. Now, there is probably no better picture of the sin-broken condition of man than there is of sheep. Sheep are a fitting picture of of lost men and women. Jesus, who says of Himself, He is the great shepherd, He knows some things about sheep. You see, not a lot uh, is explained in verse number 4 concerning the reason why this shepherd would leave the ninety and nine. Why is there such a sense of urgency on the part of this shepherd to find that One lost sheep. Well, I think there's a few things that we can draw on about the truth of sheep. So notice a few things. Four things, as a matter of fact. Number one, I want you to see this. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dumb. Uh, Yes, they are, Kalen, they're dumb. Sheep are dumb. To be compared to a sheep is not a very flattering description. Why? Because sheep are not smart animals, I mean, other than a petting zoo where all the sheep got to do is just stand there and kids go crazy over them, have you ever seen a circus act using sheep? No. No, as a matter of fact, they're they're, they're so difficult to train. You cannot, it's very, let's put it this way, it is very, very difficult to train sheep. Uh, Do you... Do you do, listen, here's the thing. Do you do dumb things? I won't have you raise your hands, but I'm going to go ahead and raise mine here as for all of us. We all do dumb stuff. There are things in which we know we should not do, and yet we do it over and over and over despite the avalanche of consequences that come to us because of our idiocy, of our stupidity. You, uh, and these, these animals, sheep, are dumb. We're dumb. Listen. Drug abuse is rampant in our society today, and, and people know they destroy minds. They deplete bodies. They waste away individuals physically. Uh, They destroy our bodies. They dement our minds. Uh, Listen, drugs are are stupid. And yet people, people will fall prey to them knowing full well what they will do to them. Also relationships. We have relationships that obliterate our marriages and our homes. Uh, some floozy down at the office. Some some person down at the uh, down at the, the the location where you haunt uh, uh, begins to cast a twinkling eye at you, and you know this is trouble. And yet, so many will fall prey to those. Uh, to those advances of others, knowing that it will destroy their marriages. I've seen people who could wallpaper their bathroom with educational degrees make some of the dumbest moral choices in life. Listen, we are, it is an apt description because we are dumb, foolish people. Notice second of all, sheep are not only dumb, but they're dirty. One of the most redeeming qualities of a cat. Now, right now, I want to make it clear. I have a deep-seated opinion about cats. I think, I, I think they're, they're always eyeballing you. They're always looking for a way to kill you with a knife in the night. I think cats do that. They, they don't like people they put up with us. You ever, you ever realize how that people are more servants to cats uh, than cats are pets to, to human beings? I'm telling you, they're awful creatures, terrible. But one thing is the only redeeming quality about a cat is it is a clean animal. It will sit there and clean itself. It is it realizes its own filth. Also, a dog. I mean, even a dog will find a creek. Every now and then when it's muddy and waddle around in a... A bird itself! A bird will come down in a mud puddle and take a bath. But sheep have no concept of being clean. Sheep have to be washed by someone else. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talked about how that the lost are blinded by the God of this world. Men, men think that morality can make them clean before God... But the Bible tells us clearly that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We have no concept outside the illumination of the Holy Spirit of God. We have no concept of the righteousness of God and the deplorable nature and filth of our innate condition. They don't know that they're filthy and that's what—that's why we so identify. Lost sinners identify with sheep so well. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dirty. Sheep are defenseless. Defenseless. When being attacked by an animal, a sheep is not unto too dumb to even run away. And if it did, sheep aren't all that fast. They're, they're rather easy to catch. They have no fangs. When you open the mouth of a a sheep, you'll find grinders that basically grind grass. They, They have no fangs. They have nothing that can tear flesh. They have no claws. They got that rounded hoof. That's about it. They have no way of fighting back. They're absolutely defenseless. You never see sheep as a mascot. Have you ever noticed that? I mean... You'll look at the Philadelphia Eagles, ah, and they got those claws out. You'll you look at the Chicago Bulls, and they they're they're vicious animals that can gore you to death. You'll see, even see the St. Louis Rams with their, their Rams, and they, they but you never see the New England Ewes or the New York lambs or the Seattle sheep. Why? Because they're such a defenseless animal. You know, we, the lost sinner, is the same way. Sin takes sinners further than they want to go. Sin drags us away. Uh, a drag, sin has a way of dragging us down to where we get in over our heads before we ever even know it. We know we've been taken too far when the phone call comes from the doctor telling us that we have an incurable sexually transmitted disease. The papers from the divorce suddenly show up in our mailbox. The DUI causes us to lose our job. We are so quickly in over our head, and yet we have such a tendency just to follow wherever sin leads the sinner. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dirty. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep are directionless. Sheep are directionless. They have no sense... Of direction, we we had this dog years ago. Had this dog named Goldie. It was one, It was a, a dog that my my oldest son Evan prayed in. It's a long story. I have to tell you sometimes. But but Goldie was a golden what not a retriever, but like a gold a blonde lab. Beautiful dog. Beautiful dog. We had him for several years and uh, had him before went to pastor my previous pastor and went there. Had him for a few years there, and then all of a sudden Goldie got away. And uh, was gone for the longest. Couldn't find him, hollered for him, looked all over the neighborhood. Evan was distraught, but we could not find Goldie anywhere. And then two years later, two years later, Carrie's walking by the front door and she looks out the glass door and she sees Goldie just walking down the street right there in front of the house. Two years later, long story, but evidently somebody found him Put him in the humane society, and uh, uh, two girls one summer brought her, uh, took took the dog Goldie, and was doing some community service at an old folks' home, and was taking Goldie around, letting people pet him. And then when the summer was over, they took the dog back to the ken, or back to the uh, the humane society. The dog Goldie was set to be uh, euthanized when somebody from the uh, from the old folks' home, wanted the dog. They came and got the dog. They brought it to their house, and lo and behold, their house wasn't about two miles down the road. And two years later, that dog got away and came right back home. <laughs> dog, listen, dogs can find their way around, but sheep can't find their way back. You know, sheep are wanderers; they wander. Sheep never intend to get lost, but they merely wander. They. They nibble a little, a little grass over here and then they look up. Ooh, that grass looks a little better. And they nibble on grass here. Ooh, ooh that, that grass way over the hill there looks a little better. And so they find out and they get further and further and further away from the flock and the shepherd. And before they're aware of it, they're out of the shepherd's care. They're away from the safety of the fold. Sheep just follow other sheep as well. Have you ever seen those Uh, there's, There's videos you can find on the internet of how that, let's say, there's an obstacle in the way and. These guys are herding sheep over that obstacle and, and the sheep will jump over that obstacle for several several, several hundred of them will go by and all of a sudden the shepherd will pull that obstacle out of the way but the sheep will keep jumping as if it's there. Why? Because the one in front of them jumps so they feel like they've got to jump and they follow the one in front of them. They do exactly what's in front of the other. If you're not careful, all, a whole herd of sheep will go over the cliffside just following one right after another. You know, sin is the same way. People that are lost are the same way. People that wallow in sin, they do so oftentimes because they see other people wallowing in sin. People booze it up because other people booze it up. People do drugs because other people around them do drugs. People fornicate because other people fornicate. They're like sheep. They have no sense of direction. They just go further and mindlessly follow the standards and values of those around them. Sinners will never come home on their own. They are not begging to be saved and find a home church. No, they must be gone after. They must be reached. Here, the shepherd knows this. And this is what drives the shepherd's action. The shepherd knows they're not going to come back on their own. Knows that they're not going to come back to the fold. By the way, church, this is what ought to drive our action as well. We are to be ones that realize, y'all come isn't going to cut it. We must be the hands and feet. We must be like the shepherd and go out in search of the lost. This is what the shepherd knows. This may not exactly be in our text because it was common knowledge among his hearers. This is the urgency that drove the shepherd. The shepherd knows what the shepherd knows about the sheep. The next thing, I want us to see not only what the shepherd knows about the sheep, but what the shepherd does about the sheep. Look in verse number 4. What man of you having an hundred sheep if he lose one of them doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. What the shepherd does about the condition of the sheep is our next insight into what Christ does for the lost sinner. John 10 verse number 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. There is, a, there is an insight in that verse into the shepherding heart of Jesus. He lays down His life for the sheep. I believe that becomes transparent in our, in our text. you notice, first of all, we see the love at this separation. The love at this separation. Now, can you see this shepherd in the evening? He's, he's there. He's, he's brought the sheep. They've been, they've been out in the fields uh, feeding all day long and the shepherd maybe brings them into a rock fold, a formation in which he can, a uh, boundary in which he can protect those sheep through the night and all of the evils of the night. And so the shepherd will maybe have a, a, a staff and a rod and, and as they come through he counts 99, or 97, 98, 99. Supposed to have A hundred. And maybe he rustles them all out again, leads them out, and he maybe does a recount. 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. He's missing a sheep. He looks and through, and many of these shepherds were so familiar with the sheep to us, they may look all alike, but as he begins to scan, this group, he realizes that, I don't know what the sheep, what do you call a sheep, really? I mean, the only, the only name to give a sheep is Fluffy. If you're gonna name a sheep something, it's gotta be Fluffy. He looks through this, he looks through all the 99, and he realizes that Fluffy is not among them. He's lost a sheep, and now the eyes, now, now the eyes of a businessman would look at this rock formation and all the sheep that are inside there. And it says, hey, you got 99 of them. Cut your losses, dude. That's one hundredth. It's so small. It's It's not something to be worried about. Why is the shepherd, though, so concerned for one over 99? It doesn't make business sense. Now, we'll see this as we go through this chapter, but I want you to see it. I'm going to give it to you early. Look at We see in the first parable, it is one out of a hundred. It's not much of a loss, really. In the next parable of the lost coin, the woman has ten coins and she loses one. Now, there's a little bit more importance. That's not one hundredth. That's one-tenth. I know we're going to math, math class here, so everybody just stay with me. That's one out of ten. One out of ten is a whole lot more than one out of a hundred. When we go to the last parable about the prodigal son, it's not one out of a hundred. It's not one out of ten. It's one out of two. Here's what I'm saying. The further we go along and the further we see the heart of Jesus, the more we realize the value of one lost sinner... One lost sinner to the Savior is of extreme importance. This parable is not, but this parable here is not about the value of the sheep. It is about the love of the shepherd. The shepherd looks out over the horizon and a thousand different scenarios play out in his mind. He thinks about little fluffy Walking along the edge of a crevice, and the rocks gives way, and it tumbles down into a ravine, and it's hurt, and it can't move. It places a scenario in its mind of, of this little little uh, lamb, little sheep that it's out there, and all of a sudden it's cornered by wolves or, or stranded in a cave, and it can't get out. And it is the love of the shepherd that incites him to leave the others behind and to go after the one lost sheep. Oh, look at the drunk on Main Street, the inmate at the jail. The world says, throw them on the dump heap of life. Don't you want your church filled with the more fit of society, those that are a little bit monetarily better, and those that uh, that have a lot of their uh, a lot of let's let's put it this way, a lot of their depravity is well hidden. You know, it's not that outward stuff of failure that you see constantly bailing people out and and falling into addictions. No, no, you want your you want your church filled with more of a reputable type. Uh, Uh, The the world may say, "Man, you need to throw away all of those small percentage, that fringe of society, those ones on the outskirts of 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 acceptable uh, society." You just. You just need to let them go. They're worthless. Oh, but some 2,000 years ago, the love of God for sinners and sin-sick humanity caused the Lord Jesus to leave the, the pearly gates of heaven, the golden streets of heaven to come down to this earth and to yield His life for lost sinners, for sinners like you and like me, for the depraved of society. Jesus came to earth from the portals of glory to the jeers of this earth. Oh, the lo- as we sing it. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. The mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. God loves sinners. Jesus loves sinners, and that's what drove this shepherd out to find the sheep. God did not sit in heaven. Wondering what to do when man sinned. No, God determined to send his only begotten son, Jesus, who is determined to leave heaven's glory and come down on to die on the cross. My friend, Jesus loves sinners. He loves, if you're here today and don't know the Lord Jesus, he loves you. If your heart here saved save today and you've fallen and Messed up so many times. I want you to know Jesus loves you. He died on the cross to rescue you from the wages of sin, from the short judgment of God, and from the ravages of a sin-cursed world. John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The love that drove the shepherd. It drove Him into the darkness of the night with all of its dangers, with all of its perils. It drives Jesus and it should drive us as well. Notice second of all, not only the love at this separation, but the length of His search. Notice, He leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until He find it. You know, earlier in the message, I quoted John 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. These words come after an encounter of with Jesus with the publican Zacchaeus. Do you remember the publican Zacchaeus? Publican doesn't mean Republican or Democrat, it's not a political thing. Publican means that he was a tax collector, that he was one that was a turncoat against his own people, hired. By the Romans, many of the publicans were seen as underhanded and devilish or, or dishonest in their dealings with people. You see, the Roman government would say, hey, if you'll turn against your own people and you'll go out and collect this small amount of taxes for us, we'll let you charge whatever you want and we'll give you a, a, a detainment of guards of Roman soldiers to go with you to make everybody pay." And so publicans would charge the the amount of Rome required and then whatever extra they wanted. And they would put that in their pocket just as long as as Rome gets their part. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that he was extorting the community. Zacchaeus was just such a one. He was a thief, a traitor, a heartless man. And yet Jesus finds him. remember Remember the little song Zacchaeus was a wee little man? A wee little man was he? He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And the Lord came to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I remember as a kid saying, come down from there, for I'm going to your house to stay. That's the story here. Remember, Jesus calls and he sees Zacchaeus in that tree. Come down, Zacchaeus, and I'll reside at your house today. And Zacchaeus' life and heart was transformed with that encounter with Jesus Christ. Why? Why was it transformed? Because Jesus is seeking lost sinners. He is looking for them in all places. Jesus sat at Jacob's well. Remember remember in John chapter 4 where Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Well, Jesus, you know that we don't go through Samaria. We take the long way around Samaria to avoid all the Samaritans, those Samaritan dogs. The prayer of the Pharisee was, I'm glad I'm not a woman, and I'm glad I'm not a Samaritan. That was their prayer. They praised God for the fact that they weren't a Samaritan dog. But Jesus says, no, I've got to go to this one place. We must needs go through Samaria. You know the story how in John 4, he's seated there in the hot part of the day, and a woman comes up and gives water and Jesus starts that conversation you know what happens and, and how that he told he tells that woman everything she ever done and she immediately begins to be the evangelistic source for the whole town and she begins to tell everyone look come see a man that told me everything that i would ever done oh Jesus seeks after sinners he seeks the known fornicator at Jacob's well he seeks after lost sheep the, shia, the shepherd sought after the sheep until he found it. He didn't stop. He didn't quit. He continued to seek until he found the sheep. Can you hear him call out in the night? Yeah, fluffy, 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 fluffy. Yeah, fluffy, fluffy, fluffy. He has a torch lighting the night, putting himself into jeopardy as well from robbers and wild animals. Here, fluffy, fluffy, fluffy. He's out there searching in the night, calling out to that sheep. Oh, calling out and calling out. Listen, dear sinner friend, as long as Jesus has been calling you, you're still being sought for by the Savior. If you're here today, it is no accident. The friend, uh, the friend at work that tells you of Christ is calling out to the Savior. Every little place along the path of life, that radio station you happen to fall under, that internet video that you saw in your Facebook uh, news feed, those little gospel track that you found in a bathroom somewhere, all of these is the Shepherd call. Calling out. Lost sinner, where are you at? Lost sinner, come to me. Respond. Cry out to me. That gospel track that you found at the gas station are all searches of the light of the shepherd of Jesus Christ. That's what it was in my life. A testimony of a young lady that put her faith and trust in Jesus It just so happens to be sitting here this morning when she put her faith and trust in Jesus. And I thought, well, only old people do that kind of stuff. But here she got saved. Made me think about it. The gospel tract that I found in that hotel room in South Georgia. A little bit here and a little bit there. And God's calling me. I'm hearing His voice. God's intervening in my life. That is the searching of the shepherd. And that is the length at which He'll go What did Jesus say? He said, All that the Father will give me shall come unto me, and him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. Do you know this? There's not a single lost sheep that was given by the Father. And I'm not going to go down chasing that rabbit hole about the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. I'm not going there. But there's not a single sheep lost in this world that the Father has not given the Lord Jesus that will not respond to His call. Jesus will find them. They'll be saved. Oh, listen. All we've got to do is go out there and sound the call. The shepherd's calling. The shepherd's longing for you. The shepherd loves you. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Oh, here we see the shepherd. What the shepherd knows about the sheep. He knows the risk. What the shepherd does about the sheep doesn't just sit in his confinement and cut his losses and say, oh well, I've still got 99. No, he goes and seeks, after, and seeks after the lost sheep. Now finally, not only do we see these, but I want you to see also what the shepherd says about the sheep. Verse number 5, And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing and when he cometh home he calleth together his friends and neighbours rejoicing unto him or, or saying unto them rejoice with me for i have found my sheep which was lost here we find all of a sudden this shepherd that's searching he hears a faint cry bah, bah. and so he begins to quicken his step here fluffy 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 a little bit louder and he, he finally goes over a lo- rock's edge and there it is down there on the ledge. He lowers himself down and he finds his sheep. The sheep is so happy uh, to, ha- to be found by the shepherd. And there's my lost sheep. He found the lost sheep. What does it say first of all? Well, we see the recovery of his sheep. In verse number 5. It said when he found it, he layeth it on his shoulder. First of all, he findeth the sheep. The shepherd found the sheep. Do you know that the shepherd had every right to claim that sheep? That sheep belonged to him. You see, this sheep had been redeemed. It had been purchased. It was a claimed possession. Because Jesus has died on the cross of Calvary for not his own sin, But our sin, He has redeemed us. He has every right to lay claim on you and on me. To say to us that you are mine is exactly in His prerogative. I have bought you. You're my possession. You know, it's a long way back to the fold. But Jesus is able to see us all the way back to the fold of glory. He's the great shepherd. He's the one that recovers, lays claim to us, and is able to hold us. Isn't it wonderful to be a, a lost sheep and to be found by the shepherd? Oh, as I looked at these passages this morning and I was reading over them, I began to relive those moments. And when, when Jesus found me and heard my cry, and he, he wrapped his arms around me and he laid hold of me. I became His possession. I became His own. Maybe you should do the same thing. Think about those moments when Jesus laid claim to you. He put, His light. he put His hand upon you. He rescued you from your despair. Rescued you from your danger. Aren't you glad Jesus found you out there in a waste pile of wilderness and the mountains of sin? Jesus found you. Notice not only the recovery of the sheep, but the refuge of His shoulders. It says that He... In verse 5, He, find it, he layeth it on His shoulders. What, what's He talking about here? Well, you know, the, the picture is this, how the, the shepherd, maybe the sheep was injured. We, we don't know for sure. Maybe it was just easier in the darkness of the night to carry this lost sheep. He, he grabs two feet up front and two feet up in the back and He puts it on His shoulders. You see throws it over his neck, and he carries it back to the fold. That's that's what he does. He places it on his shoulders. You know, this is a place of security. The strong shoulders of Jesus can bear all of your problems, all of your baggage, and all your fears if you'll yield them to Him. He can carry you through life you 're not expected to carry yourself through life you're expected to let Christ live through you for him to take over your life. The same shoulders that could bear the cross of Calvary are the shoulders that are more than enough to take care of these poor, lost sheep to give their hearts and to give their hearts and lives. To them. I think about Isaiah 9 6. Do you know that? We quote it every Christmas. We quote it every Christmas. Unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his what? Shoulder. Shoulder. In our text, it says in verse number 5, that he layeth the sheep on his shoulders. Plural. Listen, this may be nitpicking. I don't know. This may just be more good preaching than it is a good exegesis, but hey, if Jesus can carry the world on his shoulder, on one shoulder, I'm sure that he could carry every burden that you could ever possibly bear on both his strong shoulders. He's able to carry your burdens, Peter says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you, Jesus, can bear your burdens. The refuge of his shoulders, the recovery of his sheep, also the rejoicing of the shepherd. Look at what it says in verse number six. And it says in verse number five, he ends the verse with saying, rejoicing, happy, glad that he found the sheep. What wonderful words from the shepherd. When the lost sheep was found, the shepherd didn't say, oh, yeah, this is what you get. Huh? This is what you get for wandering into sin. This is what you get from leaving the flock. He didn't roll his eyes and say, Well, now you need me. Now that you're in a bind, now you need me. Oh, you're in a jam now. I guess you need, I guess you, do you need my help now? That is not the attitude of Jesus. It didn't matter how they got there or why they were there. He rejoiced rejoiced in the fact that He found it. He rejoiced. Listen, if you're here lost today, come to Jesus because there will never be anybody more happier than He that you came to Him, that you came to Christ Jesus. Also, the saints rejoice. Look at verse number Number six, and when he cometh home, he called together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Here, we see that not only did he rejoice, but those around him were to rejoice. Also the saints were to rejoice. Now, there's actually a part of this that may be lost in some of the customs of that time, but in a neighborhood of close neighbors where there were a multitude of sheep among them, oftentimes, the sheep were seen as property of the whole community. And so, when one owner lost a sheep and that sheep was recovered, it's not just he that rejoiced, it was the whole community. You see... That's, what, that's what's supposed to happen with us as well. We, we, should, we should all be seeking. We should all be praying. All be weeping. All be inviting. And think about one day God works a miracle. The invitation is given. The, the sinner comes and believes on the Savior and wants to be saved. The same crowd that wept and prayed and shared the burden now rejoices. There is shouting on the hills of glory because of a sinner who has been found. Listen, if we're able to even lead one child or one single mother who makes her way here at this... Santa thing where we're going to be giving out gifts and be a hub for these donations. If we talk to one single mother down on her luck with nothing to her name and she comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Why, it ought to be a fruit basket turnover in this place that Jesus, all of our efforts and all of our trying and all of our weeping and all of our praying has come to fruition. And Jesus has reclaimed a soul. Has saved a soul. Oh, listen. Oh, oh, we, we should be rejoicing over that. Listen, take your eye of suspicion out. Pluck it out. And rejoice that a soul has been saved. Uh, Take your attitude of jealousy and pluck it out and rejoice that a sinner has been saved. Uh, Take your financial clutches off of, off of, 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 of the monetary gains that might have to be needed to help this person and rejoice that God has reclaimed a soul. A sinner is restored. We are to rejoice. We're to rejoice. The sinner is returned to the fold. Last of all, look at verse number 7. Jesus, when He goes from 6 to 7, He comes out of the parable. Notice what He says. I say unto you, Likewise, I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and not just persons which need no repentance. Listen, here's where the rubber meets the road. Here's where Jesus makes the application. Because truth be known, you're not a sheep, are you? None of us are. I'm a person. I'm a human being. With will and volition, I, I'm, a, I'm a human being. Jesus is not an earthly shepherd. He's not one that comes down with a shepherd's crook and, and hooking, sinners, <laughs> hooking sinners by the neck and pulling them into church houses. No, no, that's not what Jesus does. No, no, no. What did He say? I say unto you, That likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Now that last phrase right there, you probably have different different, uh, uh, minds and maybe you're kind of wondering what it means there. Listen, I believe that Jesus is identifying those that have righteousness within themselves. What is He contrasting here? He's contrasting the outskirts of humanity, the publicans and sinners who know they got problems. This community knows they got problems when they got drug addictions, when they got homosexuality, when they got all kinds of, of sexual fornication, everything going on. They know they got problems. Jesus saying it is more, it is more joyous over one of those that comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Than 99 just persons who see themselves as not needing any kind of repentance. That's what he's talking about. Just in themselves. Here, this is where the rubber meets the road. You're not a sheep, you're a sinner. And what you need to do, you're a sinner by nature, by birth, and by choice. You're a sinner against a holy God that one day will bring His justice Down upon your head. And what you need to do is not bad. What you need to do is call out on the Lord Jesus. You need to repent. Verse number 7 talks about repenting. Changing your mind. About faith. Listen, God's not going to reach down and pull you against your will. Unlike our story with the sheep, you know, oftentimes sheep scared, afraid, and it might buck against the, say, uh, the the shepherd and try to get away. Listen, that's where the end of the parable. the parable ends and the application begins. You're a human being that is lost. You're in need of a Savior, and you must repent. You must change your mind. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Come to Christ. Call upon Him while He is near, and He will save you. Repent and believe the gospel. Change your mind. Put your trust in Jesus. My question as we close are you lost? Are you stranded on an island of sin and shame, dreading the day of the coming judgment when you'll stand before the Lord and give account of your life of rebellion towards God? I tell you, the shepherd is drawing nigh. It is calling. He is calling your name. Come to Him. Believe upon the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Call upon Him while He is near. Child of God, aren't you glad that Jesus came searching for you? Aren't you glad that He took His Holy Spirit and reached out and drew you unto Himself? Oh, rejoice. Rejoice. May God make us, God, don't let us continue to be barren. Let us be fruitful. Let us see people saved as PC people come to know Lord Jesus, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You. Thank You for this parable and what it means to us, how it speaks to our hearts. Father, we pray that You would give us a heart for the lost. A heart like Your heart. A heart that aches and longs for to see sinners come to You. God, I pray that we would be a people of rejoicing over one soul. God, give us one soul. God, let us see one come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, let us see one life transformed by Your grace. God, I pray that You would give us fruit, give us sheep, give us those that would come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, give us a heart to reach out. Father, we pray. For those that may be listening that don't know the Lord Jesus, God, we pray Your Holy Spirit would come, would open their eyes to the need of a Savior. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. We'll sing one, maybe two verses of a hymn, I Surrender All, page number 354. If you're here today and you want to come to know the Savior, why don't you make your way down? I'll take the Bible show you what I can from the Bible. How you can be saved. Three fifty four.